Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. This is the Scuderia F1 podcast featuring Mark Hamilton. And as always, the man, the legend, the myth, Mark Daly, joining you after yeah, <laughs> joining you after the second race of the 2021 campaign here on Sunday, April the 18th. You're probably hearing us Monday, April the 19th. And we're here with some pretty fire reaction to what was, quite frankly, a, a really great resumption to the 2021 season. We had a race three weeks ago in Bahrain. We had this ridiculously long break, given the fact that we have this hyper-compressed 23-race calendar, but the race today was cold, it was wet, it was long, it was thrilling, it was exciting, we had crashes, and at the end of the day, there was absolutely no change to the Drivers' Championship (laughs) or the Constructors' Championship, but not necessarily for the reasons that you might think. My friend, what were your biggest takeaways from today's race? What did you enjoy the most? I think what I enjoyed the most was uh, Hamilton and uh, Verstappen going head to head right on the very first lap. Lewis um, dealing with some pretty unusual situations, quite a bit of adversity, things not going his way. I mean, great recovery drive for Lewis Hamilton to end up. Where, where did he drop down to? Was it like P9 or? Yeah, P8 I think when else? he was coming, he came back out at P9, came yeah. back out at P9. And he was flying. So to get back, not just onto the podium, but uh, back up to P2 was an astounding, like just an astonishing result. But, you know, fair play to Max. I mean, he, you know, he, I mean, he was, he didn't start in the best uh, position in the race. I mean, he didn't qualify as high as he wanted to from qualifying third behind his teammate and behind uh, Lewis Hamilton. But that being said, you could tell from the from, from the start that uh, Sergio would just had a lot of wheel spin. Max just, uh, you know, he, he, he played it smart. He started the race in second gear. Uh, and uh, he just had a lot of torque going off the line and it was interesting going into that uh, that corner uh, max and uh, and lewis hamilton max i think i think it's fair to say he had the racing line and it was it was marginal but the thing was neither one of those two guys was going to give an inch and then just the way that they go through that little chicane the little left and then the right hander one of them was going to go over the curbs. Unfortunately for Lewis Hamilton, it was him. He damaged the underside of that uh, that end plate on the, the left uh, front-hand side of his wing. But I know that it was noted by the stewards, but I think that uh, they did the right... I, I think it was the right result. There was no uh, investigation was warranted. No penalty was handed out. It was, I, I think, is what you wanted to see between who are going to be the two main adversaries uh, this year. And uh, just uh, with all the things that happened on the the, the the track with the safety cars, you had that big crash with Nick Latifi. Then you had another, well, you had uh, Mick Schumacher, who was really the victim of his own uh, unfortunate circumstance by spinning while trying to warm his tires. And then they closed the pit lane <laughs> to clear the debris that came off of his car. So he had to drive around the circuit for a couple of laps before he could actually go in and change it. And then, of course, the big, huge crash between George Russell and Valtteri Bottas that was uh, red flagged. And just really all afternoon, the, the people going on and off the track. But it made for some exciting moments. It uh, it was exciting to see Lewis really fighting his way up uh, through the order. And it, it was interesting, though. It just uh, based on the speed that he had, he had a quick car. But it's it's really I find it a little bit difficult to figure out how good or you know comparable he was to Max because Max was able to keep about five, three, five seconds a- a- ahead of him through the po- you know through the portion of the race when it really was between the two of them, and then once all the drama started happening, that kind of went out of the window. Yeah, and and I think it's really important to set this one up, and I think you you did a great job of summarizing what we what we witnessed today in in Italy. 
we went into this race weekend and, and it was a little bit cold. So when we last visited Imola, and this isn't a race for our new, new listeners, this isn't a race that hasn't this, this race really hasn't been a part of the calendar in many years. So if we look back at the last five, the last six winners here, Schumacher won in Imola in 02. He won there in 03. He won there in 04. Alonzo won there in 05 in his championship season. Schumacher won again in 06. And then Hamilton won last year when they returned for the first time in 14 years. Last year was a bit of an anomaly because they kind of wedged it in in November. And you typically yep. wouldn't go to Imola in November. And typically, you probably wouldn't go to Imola this early in the season either. And it was a little bit cold. And they were forecasting rain all week, which I think for fans like us, that that's a good thing. And then the rain arrived 30, 40 minutes before the race was to begin. It started pouring. But what was really curious about it was it really only rained on one half of the track. So you had a, a section of the track that was largely dried out. It was a little bit damp and a little bit slippery, but it wasn't covered in water. And, and I think you teed it up perfectly. So Hamilton qualifies on pole. Uh, he's on the front row for the 160th time in his career. Remarkably, Sergio Perez, who qualified second, that's the first time he's ever qualified on the front row. So it ultimately ends up being something of a drag race between Perez, Hamilton, and Verstappen off the jump. Perez doesn't start great. Hamilton doesn't start great. Max gets a jump. Beats him into the corner. And to your point, given the conditions, you're, you're absolutely right. The stewards, they weren't going to investigate that. They weren't going to dig that. But the problem was for Hamilton, he rides these brutally high Imola curbs and sustains some damage. He loses the end plate on his front wing. And within two laps, Max has a five-second lead. And at that point, you can argue the race is pretty much done. It's going to be difficult for Hamilton to kind of re kind of capture that distance. But ultimately, the, the, the race was kind of set. And, and I think if not for everything that kind of transpired after that, it could potentially have been a fairly boring race, but ultimately some really cool stuff happened that made it far less boring, but the, <laughs> the race was super, super thrilling. And, and I've said this to people that are getting into formula one all the time. For me, if I'm going to watch an NBA game and I miss the tip off, or I missed the first few minutes of the first quarter, doesn't bother me at all. I cannot miss the start of a formula one race. So much happens in those first couple of corners in that first lap that sets up the rest of the race. You cannot miss it. And that was, that was exactly what transpired here. It was a super, super aggressive move. They were fighting for position. They know that they're going to be fighting for the championship. Hamilton lost the carbon fiber end plate on his front wing. And within two laps, Max had this almost insurmountable five second lead, but yeah, great start to, uh, to the race and some really interesting stuff transpired from that point forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, you don't want to be too harsh on your two uh, title con uh, contenders. And I, I think that both of them are smart enough and uh, hopefully mature enough when it comes to, to Max. I, I think a couple of years ago, that might have turned out a little bit uh, different. Uh, but Max, you know, obviously significantly younger than Lewis Hamilton. But he did have his, you know, his fair share of criticism earlier in his career, just the way that he would have handled similar situations. And of course, there was that, uh, you know, the, the infamous kind of like Verstappen slide where he would kind of drift to one side of the track just to defend a you know, position going into a corner. I mean, he's kind of grown out of it. And I thought that uh, both of them, I think they handled the situation well. It was it was just hard fair racing and just the, the way that the conditions were. And we have to remember that Imola is an old school track. It's not like, say, one of the newer tracks like Yas Marina, where they could literally drive five abreast going down that uh, that long straightaway. Because, I mean, the modern tracks are significantly wider. I mean, this is old school. I mean, and, and this comes into play when we'll talk a, a little bit earlier about the Bottas-Russell uh, incident. 
But I mean, at some points, I mean, there's uh, what maybe two and a half, three car widths at most on some of these parts of the track, and especially in these uh, conditions. And you know, when I say that Max had the racing line, he he had it maybe by what the 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 depth of the front wing on the car. So I mean, just by by the slimmest of the margins, and then Lewis just ran out of real estate, and then ended up on the wrong part of the the inside of the corner. And then, like you said, uh, he, he went over those brutally nasty Imola curbs, and and something was going to give way in that incident. It wasn't going to be the curbs, but you know, it was it was really something. I mean, to see just how slippery it was, and just how bad the spray was, and to see things like Charles Leclerc spinning out on the formation lap, and I was just like, oh gosh, are we going to see a Ferrari retire from the race on the formation lap in a race in Italy? It's like, gosh, you can already picture what the what the headlines are going to be in the morning, right? And you and you saw the comments, and and I don't know if you saw this, but Nicholas Latifi had made some comments to a media outlet speaking of the yeah. fact that that was arguably, and he wasn't in the race long, but it was arguably the most dangerous slap, most treacherous, dangerous lap he'd ever experienced. Zero <laughs> trends or zero traction, and, and the spray completely eliminated any visibility, which is also, again, the value of qualifying well is that you're behind fewer cars and you're yeah. going to see less spray. Yeah. But ultimately, like he, his comment was it was incredibly dangerous. And Fernando Alonso made exactly the same point, that it was incredibly slippery. Um, and to your point as well, in a, in a tighter track like this, there's far less forgiveness in the rain. Like if you run wide, you hit that grass, you're going to spin and your race is over. Whereas in some of these newer tracks where you can run five or six or seven cars wide, you can make a mistake. You can go a little deep. You can go a little bit long and you're not going to be penalized on a super tight track like this. If you hit the curbs or you hit the grass, that could be lights out. That could be the end of your race. Well, as it was for quite a few people uh, this afternoon for for various uh, reasons. I mean, we we saw all sorts of guys uh, going off. I mean, Lewis went off the track. He was lucky to dig himself out of the gravel. We saw who else? Uh, Yuki Sonoda. He mm-hmm. uh, went into the gravel. Perez. Uh, and I want to talk a lot about uh, Perez here in a little bit, uh, but we're just coming up on our first break here. Uh, and, and I mean, it, there was a lot of people that had trouble keeping it uh, between the white lines today. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. We're going to take a quick break here and we're going to come back and we're going to continue breaking down the uh, Emilia Romagna Grand Prix there. I almost got it out one piece this time. (laughs) Anyways, hang in there, guys. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. Mark and Mark Daly and Hamilton here breaking down Imola and all the action that uh, we saw this uh, the, this afternoon. And uh, well, just uh, going back to what you were talking about uh, just before the break there, Mark, about uh, what uh, Nicholas uh, Latifi was uh, just, say, just saying, how dangerous and how slippery, uh, slippery and how uh, nasty the visibility was out there on the track. But I just wanted to get your take. Uh, and I know that uh, three weeks ago, we sat here doing the exact same thing. And uh, I dubbed the Haas driver Nikita Mazaspin. He didn't. Uh, <laughs> he did that uh, numerous times again uh, this weekend. He was involved in the Latifi incident. That was a hard hit that uh, Nick took when uh, he hit the wall there. But he went off uh, it was an aqua minerale, came back on and he was sort of coming back onto the track and Mazapin's coming up and uh, clips him on the right rear tire. And I mean, he did try to pull over and not go onto the grass himself. But I know on the Sky Sports feed, Martin Brundle said that was 100% uh, Latifi's fault. He wasn't going to blame that one on Mazepin. But, you know, I kind of disagree with that. I think that when the conditions are so bad and you can't see anything from the spray in front of you, how are you going to see anything in the spray behind you? And in conditions like that, I mean, if you go out and you get in a rear ender right now, aren't isn't the the, the insurance going to claim more or place more of the fault on the driver that actually rear ends you rather than you being rear ended? I really felt that uh, Mazepin should have done more, maybe lifted a little bit more because I mean, this is obviously a guy coming back onto the track in treacherous conditions. The car's still trying to find, uh, you know, make a good purchase on the asphalt, and uh, he was having uh, issues. So I, I think that uh, if you want to place blame fairly, I think that you got to put a little bit more at least to uh, Nikita Mazepin. Yeah, and that's an interesting analysis that you share because it's and again, I, I'm trying not to be a homer being a big Nicholas <laughs> Latifi fan. I, I'm not sure. And it, again, I have to be careful too because I don't want to be super biased against Nikita Mazepin, which is uh which is very challenging sometimes <laughs> given some of his conduct and his performances in the past. I, I just I, I struggle in this case. I and and I'm glad you asked the question because I spent a lot of time kind of evaluating interpretations of the incident through the media and overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, like it's clearly that Latifi was at fault here, that nobody is siding or suggesting with the fact that that Mazepan was anything but not at fault in this case. And, and I struggle to, given the circumstances, you know, if it's a dry track and it's clear, maybe it's a little bit different, but I struggle to to blame him in this case. And I'm not clear what he could have done in the car at that moment, at that speed to avoid the collision. And again, I don't know what was being communicated to him from the radio, but in this case, I I struggle a little bit in your case. I'm kind of curious as to what you believe he could have done differently to have avoided that collision. Yeah. It's, you know, it's it, it's one thing to to blame him on that. I think the only thing he really could have done, and he did try to pull over a little bit to, to the right. I, I'm you know I, I want to be fair in that. I think the only thing he could have really done is maybe lifted and tried to uh, maybe slow himself down a little bit. But you know, in, in fairness to the guy, it's all unfolding in in the blink of an eye. It's it's early in the race. The 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 the, the racing order, the pack is still fairly close together. So it's all easy for me to say that uh, you know it's his fault because I don't know how close the the next car behind him is. Maybe he you know maybe he's afraid to like jam on the brakes because somebody's going to fly up and uh, hit him up the uh, you know the, the the backside of his car as well. So yeah, I don't think there was. I, I really feel like he could have done more. But the big question is, what could he have done that uh, would have been effective? And 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 in fairness, probably not much, right? It, it's just unfortunate because. 
had it been in any other conditions, uh, you know, it, it would have been a lot easier. And I think maybe I'm being a little bit more critical of him just because, you know, he's got a bit of a history. And also, I think maybe more to the fact that it was a bit of a nasty outcome, right? So uh, just two more thoughts. One, you sure. made a really, really, really great point earlier when you spoke to the fact that this is an old school track. If this yeah. was a lot of more modern tracks, it wouldn't have been an issue because the track would have been wide enough that honestly, Mazapan probably could have just continued to move over as Latifi drifted into his lane. But yeah. I think the other consideration here too, and, and I'd seen a really good comment about this is given the conditions on the track to let up on the throttle too much is to give up too much or sacrifice too much traction. And at that point of the track at that moment, especially if he's potentially going to hit the paint or hit a curb, if he's releasing the throttle too much, he could potentially lose traction and spin. So in his case, I think his mindset was, Hey, I probably could release a little bit of traction, or I could give up a little bit of throttle, but I could potentially lose traction in the process. So, you know, I, I can't, I, while you were talking, I actually went back to revisit this. Cause I'm like, you know what, maybe, maybe you're right. But my fears, when I revisit that, I just think if he gives up the throttle, it's not about giving up his position potentially, or giving up his racing line. It's more given the fact that it's wet, he could lose his traction. Like you release that throttle, you release your grip on the track. And that's not mm -hmm. a good thing either, but, but yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah, no, you you've convinced me. I I think that uh, when you put it like that, uh, I'm willing to uh, reverse my stance on that. <laughs> and, and, you know, bearing in mind we still have 21 races to go, so I I don't want to use up all my criticism on one driver <laughs> too early in the season. But, but what happened to Massapan on his very last lap when the track was largely dried out? <laughs> well, yeah, well, no comment. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Bark, uh, why don't we? Um, I want to talk a little bit uh, quickly now just about the podium itself. Sure. Uh, I mean, it was uh, it was a great um, uh, finish. I mean, uh, when, when you look at it, Max Verstappen, I mean, he was uh, a light year ahead of uh, Lewis uh, Hamilton, twenty two seconds. Then he had Lando Norris coming up and finishing P three. Then he had the two uh, Ferraris of Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz rounding out to the, the top five. And I, I think that if you're a, a Ferrari fan i think you have to be a little bit encouraged i mean there was was a much much uh more positive <laughs> a weekend from the scuderia compared to what we've seen over the past say uh, 18 months or so for for both of them to finish not only in the points but in the top five i think um you know is is a great result for them especially in such a, a chaotic race now i guess the big question is is uh, did maybe the the, the weather and uh, all the uh, all the you know the mayhem and the chaos did that uh, maybe uh, have something to do with it uh you know the <laughs> their result but i don't want to take anything away from them i think they should be encouraged i mean charles qualifying p4 carlos Sainz. i mean i think carlos I, I think he should be very pleased with himself i mean he qualified in p11 so to get all the way up into the points and into the top five i think is a really really good strong finish for him and a really good uh double uh, uh top five finish for the for, for ferrari as well yeah that was a fantastic weekend for for ferrari i mean the, coming out of qualifying it, it looked good like it's got to be it's got to be confidence building for Charles Leclerc to qualify P4, given where they were last year, and they can continue to build on these things. I think it was a little bit really disappointing to see Carlos Sainz not make it into Q3, but ultimately for them to finish, classify four, classify five, I, I think ultimately that's a really, really, really great result for this team. And I think the other thing to consider too, is we're now two races into the 2021 campaign. Mm -hmm. They've already accumulated 25% of the championship points that they had last year. 
That, yeah. that to, to put it into context, that's how strong this start has been for them. Um, and I think it's something for them to build on naturally. And the reality too is if Hamilton hadn't been so dominant in terms of the last 10 or 15 laps and kind of carved his way through the field, they could potentially have had a podium as well. But I think they will be very, very, very happy with a four or five finish. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that I, I think really stood out for me was the the fact that, and, and I think we've talked about this recently as well on the, on the regular weekly show, is that they've been talking that uh, the straight line speed of the car is no longer their Achilles heel. And I thought that even though that they weren't maybe as fast as uh, obviously Lewis was when he was uh, really in the zone there in that closing stage of the of the Grand Prix, but it wasn't so noticeably slow compared to where they were a year ago. So I think that uh, that it's finally becoming noticeable to like the the lay people like ourselves just to say, oh, okay, there there certainly seems to be an improvement in that straight line speed with that car. And, and to put that into context, Leclerc was only three tenths off of Hamilton in qualifying three tenths of a second off of the Mercedes. Like that, that's a really, really strong performance. And I think that just reinforces that point that you're making about their top line speed, which was one of their two Achilles heels last year was obviously they were significantly down on top end power, but they also had some drag issues, but ultimately for them to qualify P four and they're just three tenths off of Hamilton on pole. That's a really, really strong performance. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, you know, when you go back and you look at uh, qualifying, when you look at the uh, at the top, uh, you know, uh, the top, uh, what was it, eight cars? So Lewis set uh, a pull time in Q3 of a 114.411. And you go all the way down to uh, Esteban Alcon, sorry, uh, to um, Valtteri Bottas, his teammate in eighth was actually kind of shocking. But his uh, fastest time in Q3 was a 114.898. So all of those cars within half a second of each other. That's a crazy spread. Yeah, crazy spread. Yeah, it's usually not that close. I mean, you might have uh, the, the first couple of cars within maybe half a second of each other. But to have uh, that many cars that close to one another is, uh, we, we don't see it very often. Let's put it that way. No, not at all. And honestly, I think if next year's regulation changes created this kind of parody, I think the sport would be very, very happy. So it's interesting that we're seeing it so happy, so kind of early on, but, but that is absolutely crazy. And it's funny because I hadn't looked at qualifying like that. Like I typically look at the top two, top three, what are the gaps like, but rarely mm -hmm. do I look much deeper than that because usually the, the, the lack of parity between the Mercedes and maybe the Red Bulls and the verse rest of the field is pretty tangible, but you're absolutely right. Hamilton, 114.4, Sergio Perez, 114.45, Max Verstappen, 114.5. I'm um, going all the way down to your point. Valtteri Bottas has a very disappointing P8, but ultimately just half a second off of qualifying half of a second. The fact that you had eight cars that qualified within half a second of each other is crazy. And then ultimately Ocon finished its eight tenths of a second off and Lance doesn't manage to put in a, a time in Q3, but that's a really, really, really compelling story from a, a qualifying perspective. Yeah, I want to talk now about one of these underlying storylines, just about the fact that, and you, you you really led into it off the top of the show here, after all this drama on the track that the, the championships didn't change, and that wasn't necessarily because of all the, <laughs> the action that did or did not happen. And I want to dive into that a little bit in more detail, and we'll do, do that in just a moment as we take another break here. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And Mark, just before the break there, I was hinting to the fact that, uh, well, I was hinting to the fact that you said off the top of the show that uh, despite all of the action on the track, that the championships did not uh, change. So let's just uh, uh, just uh, go over that uh, really quickly. So in the driver's uh, championship at the moment, we have Lewis Hamilton still leading the way with 44 points. Max Verstappen second in the championship with 43. So pretty tight there. Lando Norris third with 27. Charles Leclerc, fourth in the championship with 20 points. Valtteri Bottas, fifth with 16. And then running down to the, we'll do the top 10 here. You have Carlos Sainz, Danny Ricardo, Sergio Perez, Lance Stroll, and Pierre Gasly rounding out the top 10 in the driver's uh, championship. Now on the constructor's uh, side, you have a Mercedes on top with 60 points, Red Bull with 53, McLaren with 41. That's very, very impressive where they are so far in the season. Ferrari with 34, so much further ahead where they were this time last year. And then Alpha Tauri rounding out the top five with eight points in the constructors. Now, one of the things uh, that really stood out for me, obviously, in qualifying Lewis on pole, uh, Bottas down in eighth. So that was uh, really, uh, you know, quite surprising and shocking. Then you had the two Red Bulls, uh, Sergio Perez uh, lining up second on the front row. Then you had Max Verstappen in third. And then finally, the roles were almost reversed. It wasn't like it was a Red Bull front row lockout or anything like that. But that's what we've been saying for the long, longest time. If they're going to really take the fight to a Mercedes uh, this year in either one of the championships, they're going to have to maximize the, uh, the their qualifying and the amount of points that they're going to take in the race. And when you looked at this starting grid today, Lewis, the sole Mercedes up top, basically uh, being uh, having the two Red Bulls breathing down uh, his neck. And you just thought, well, if there was ever, ever anything uh, for the taking it was going to be uh today and then lewis of course was the only mercedes to finish the race but sergio unfortunately after such a phenomenal and sublime performance to put it on the front row just could not keep his nose clean and just all sorts of drama all weekend uh, or sorry all race long he was on the track off the track passing under the safety car and getting penalties for it and I think that is an, a huge opportunity lost. I mean, it's not going to decide, say, the constructors one way or another this early in the race, or sorry, this early in the season, considering only one Mercedes uh, took points home. And it's not a huge gap. It's not like they're, you know, they've got like 100 more points or something like that. But this is one of those races, if it comes down to be a tight finish, for example, in the constructors, that this might be one of those moments that they really rude the fact that they did not maximize their point to take. Because when you look at the final uh, race, uh, classification uh you know <laughs> there was so much more that they could have taken home i mean uh it just uh, was disappointing. I mean, after all that, Sergio Perez finishing in 11th outside of the points. So Max taking full points, his teammates uh, not taking any. And uh, unfortunately, you know, they, they could have done a lot more to really close that gap to, to Mercedes in the in, in the constructors. Like I say, long ways to go, but certainly a missed opportunity. for you're, I, I actually think you're understating this. I, and I know it's early in the season, but I absolutely think to, to kind of reinforce your point, I think Red Bull is going to look back on this and rue this race. And if I sound more confused and flustered than normal on this podcast is because after qualifying on Saturday, I built up this big narrative in my head that, aha, Red Bull just had a breakthrough moment. They had yeah. somebody other than Max qualify on the front row. This is that breakthrough moment. 
they finally have two 1A caliber drivers. Like they are going to take the fight to Mercedes in a way that we haven't expected. And you and I have talked about the fact that potentially we could have a championship that finishes Hamilton, Max, and uh, and Sergio, and Red Bull wins a constructors title while Mercedes wins the drivers title. Like we've talked a lot about that. And I thought coming out of qualifying that this was the breakthrough that was going to reinforce the fact that Red Bull, at the very least, was a serious contender for the constructors championship. And I was, you know, flash forward to this moment, and I just I look at the race classification, and I, I I'm a little bit frustrated, and I'm a little bit disappointed, and obviously. The, the circumstances were unique. It was Imola. The, the track was wet, but boy, boy, did they leave a lot of points on the table, just like the article that you're referring spoke to. And the opportunity was enhanced because Bottas didn't finish the race. So every single point that Perez would have picked up would have been incremental in this battle for the championship race. And let's say he finishes in the top 10. Well, you know what? Maybe the constructor's title is tied right now and it isn't a seven-point delta between Mercedes and Red Bull. Maybe he finishes in the top 10 or in the top five and you're leading the constructors after, after two races. And then all of a sudden, all of the pressure is on Mercedes and specifically on Bottas, who hasn't particularly shown that he can thrive under a great deal of adversity and pressure. Like this was, this was a a hugely missed opportunity for that team. And whether Christian Horner admits it in public or not, I think he's probably really, really, really frustrated, especially given the way that the race was set up. You had Sergio Perez on the front row. And like I said, off the top and, I still can't get over this. And then I'd heard on the broadcast, but this is the first time in his career he's been on the front row and he's been racing in Formula One since 2011. And that's true relative to Matt or Lewis Hamilton, who's now been on the front row 160 times. But they, they the, everything was set up for them to cash in some serious points. And obviously Max did what he needed to do. He won the race. He took the full 25 points. But I think, I, I really do think if the championship is going to be as close as we anticipate that it's going to be, they are going to rue the fact that they didn't cash in any points through Sergio Perez this weekend. You know, it's funny because I think if you are one of these people that didn't watch the race and you instead you just go to the like the the the, the results and the, the the championship standings and everything like that and like that, you'll be like, huh. Yeah, well, nothing's really changed. Whereas I think if yeah. you're the Mercedes, you're looking at that result and thinking, well, that wasn't great, but it could have been a lot worse. I mean, Lewis still recovered to second. They're still he's still leading the drivers' championship. They're still leading the constructors' said championship. And I know it was uh, you know horrible conditions out there, but I, I can understand making one or two mistakes. But there there was just too many from from Perez today. It was just almost like he was almost overthinking it overdriving it just pushing too hard i i think he totally gets it i think that he realizes hey for the first time in my career i have a you know a, a contending car that this is a car that can do something i might be able to win another race here now that he won a race last year for a racing point i think he's obviously he's got the you know he's got a taste for it and i think he senses that uh, he could maybe do something similar with uh with uh, with uh, with red bull this year and it's just um it, w- it was tough. And I think that if uh, you're Red Bull, like you say, I think that uh, you, you've got to be very frustrated with what, uh, you know, what happened uh, today. It's, it's interesting too. I went running on Saturday after qualifying and I was playing this entire situation front row. He wasn't out qualifying max. And, and I just, I kept playing the situation through in my head. I'm like, this could be the year. This could be the year they have 
two 1A caliber drivers. They have two drivers now that can qualify on the front row. They are in a legit situation where they can contend for a Constructors' Championship, and they may still, and they probably still will. But I just think coming out of this weekend, especially given the fact that Bottas finished out of the points because, well, he DNF'd ultimately because of the the crash with uh, Russell, which we'll obviously get to. But I think they're just going to rue the fact that there was a really significant opportunity to cash in points today, and we just failed to do so. And if the constructors is as tight as we think it is, maybe it's decided by seven or points or less. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting, and was it was it last year or the year before when they introduced the point for fastest lap? Was that 19 or 20? 19, right? 2019, yeah. It's been around yeah. for a couple of years. And I think now that it only counts that if you set that lap, uh, if you're in the top 10. Top 10, yeah. yeah. Which, which is interesting because Vettel came out and ultimately he had too many struggles with his car today. But he did set the the, the fastest lap because I think he was, he was the first fellow to go on to onto the dry tires. He went in for the mediums. And it obviously took a lot of, uh, it took a while for those uh, tires to get up to temperature and for yeah. him to, to, to really get them working. But then all of a sudden, he really put in a, a really good time. And then um, the, I think that was the comment right then and there. It was like, well, too bad he's uh, running out of the top 10 at the moment uh, because uh, it, it's it's not going to count if uh, nobody runs a faster time uh, before the checkered flag. But it, um, yeah, the, another, I mean, that's another one of these stories uh, that uh, I, I don't think we really need to delve into it uh, too much uh, because, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of other important things to talk about. But d- disappointing for Vettel. I know that he had mechanical gremlins. But I thought the thing that was really frustrated me the most was that it was obvious he was going to get that stop and go penalty because they didn't have his tires fitted on the car within the five minute warning before the start of the race. But it took them so long to actually hand out that uh, that judgment. I mean, he came yeah. in for his pit stop. He's out on the racetrack for what? One lap, two laps. And then all of a sudden the stewards give him the uh, the, the notification that he has to do the stop and go penalty. And the thing is, he has to go and do it right then and there. And he has to go into the pits and serve it within two to three laps. And it's the longest pit stop in Formula One on the calendar this year. So, I mean, that was going to effectively end his hopes of maybe getting into the the, the, the points at, uh, you know, in, in that race. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter because he retired with uh, with issues at, at, uh, at some point. But disappointing. I mean, Lance uh, fared a little bit better, but uh, was demoted after getting a, a penalty after the race. But it's it's been a little bit... And a little bit frustrating, let's put it that way, to watch Aston Martin. I know both uh, you and I were quite uh, enthusiastic, to say the least, with them uh, you know, rebranding from Racing Point last year. But uh, they've certainly had their troubles going into the first couple of races of the year. Uh, very, very, very disappointing. I think I think Stroll's done what I was afraid he was going to do, which is put in some points finishes, but not really compete for the top five. Um, he, he's, he's obviously performed reasonably well in qualifying, which was always his biggest Achilles heel going into last year. He he'd struggled in 2019. Uh, he got better last year. He was really awful in 2018 and he kind of had some mixed results in 2017. So at least he's got qualifying down his racecraft is okay, but he's not being particularly adventurous. Um, he, he's certainly not pressing or looking for opportunities. And there may be some very fundamental reasons for that. He simply might not be getting the green light from his team to be as aggressive as I think we would like him to be. But we also know that some of the regulation changes in the off season have have been particularly challenging for the Aston Martin team has, as they have the, the Mercedes team, although the Mercedes team simply has 
significantly greater resources to overcome some of the uh, the challenges that they've encountered this year due to some of those regulation changes around the floor of the car. But ultimately, I've been very, very, very disappointed. And at this point, I'm not suggesting Aston Martin is necessarily in a tailspin, but I don't see them coming out of this, if you know what I mean. Like, I, I don't see a clear runway forward for them no. to correct the challenges that they're encountering, because I think part of it's psychological with Vettel and just a lot of bad luck, but I think some of it's psychological, um, but I think some of it's just bad luck in general too, that the brake situation that they encountered today. And I don't know if you saw the photo, but Lance's brakes were literally on fire and had to be replaced in the pit lane before he could return to the track for for the start of the race and Vettel's brakes also overheated, which is why he was in the pit lane and they weren't able to fit his tire. So it's not necessarily just, Hey, you know, we're having some bad luck from a driving perspective and Vettel's made a couple of mistakes and, and you know what, uh, Lance had some bad luck in Q3 on Saturday, but they're having some fundamental mechanical issues as well. And the brake issues, those aren't related to the floor, which is the principal regulation change that's hampered this team. Like yep. they're just having some issues everywhere. And the fact that, and I don't know that people have made a big enough story about this, but Lance's brakes caught on fire and they had to fundamentally replace those entire components in the pit lane before the race. And then at the same time, they've got Vettel sitting there waiting because they need to replace his because they were also overheating. So then he starts like just fundamentally, everything feels broken right now. And I just, I don't see that clear pathway forward because even if they can put all of these mechanical gremlins aside, you still have the floor plan issue or the floor, the floor issue that they're not going to be able to solve anytime soon. And they don't have the resources that Mercedes necessarily do. And then I'm still concerned about Vettel because despite the fact that to your point, he put in the fastest lap today, although it didn't count for a point because he didn't finish in the top 10. I just haven't seen enough from him. His qualifying hasn't been great. He made the mistake in the first race weekend and he, he rear-ended Ocon. I, again, he didn't have a lot of time during winter testing, but he kept spinning. Like I'm very worried about that team. And so far that's my two races in 10% of the season. My most disappointing team by far. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100% uh, agree. And, you know, it's funny, too, because I, I thought uh, that once Vettel had announced that he was going to Aston Martin for this year, I thought, you know, that seems like a really good move. That seems like a good team to be going to. But I have to admit that after this race today, I found myself thinking for the first time ever, Seb, hey, maybe it's time to hang up the helmet and gloves and maybe go back to your organic farming, you know, like <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I, I really was surprised to sort of think that. But, I mean, he's a guy that just can't buy a break at the moment. Uh, you know, Valtteri Bottas maybe a guy that's uh, struggling a little bit, uh, but not as bad as he is. But uh, it was just, yeah, so frustrating, so disappointing to watch Aston Martin. And Lance, I think he's just trying to do the best that he can and just to uh, just maximize what, what he's doing. And I'm kind of surprised. I thought if either one of those two drivers might struggle, I thought it might be the other way around. But maybe Lance has the advantage, you know, having been with the team with a, for, for a while now. And uh, maybe he's just um, he's got enough experience in the car that the that the changes to the floor and the, the issues that they that uh, they're having with that. Maybe Lance is not as badly affected by it because he's just got more time in it even though uh the the, the change obviously affects both drivers but uh, sebastian i mean he's he's learning a brand new car and a car that has this this issue on top of it then you throw in all these mechanical problems on top of it it's just uh it's just not an easy situation right 
I should I should also add as well. I'm probably being a little bit uh, unfair to Lance, and possibly a little bit too critical because I, I just I expect a lot from him, and I really want to see him now in his third full season with that team perform well yeah. and start cashing in on some podiums. But I think he's also driving conservatively because he needs to yeah. because the team simply needs him to bring that car home and collect whatever points he can. If if he gets too aggressive, if he's lunging at some low percentage corners to try and pick up a place that's not really going to make a huge difference in the constructors championship. And he ultimately makes contact and he doesn't finish like that's, that's not a good situation for the team. So I think he's probably driving conservatively simply because he's giving the team the opportunity to make the changes to the car that's necessary to allow them to advance forward. But I I think that's probably a big part of it. He's one, he's driving conservatively because he needs to, because they just need the car to finish the race and to collect whatever points they can, but also because he just recognizes that at this point, it's the the right thing to do. So probably a little bit unfair to Lance from my side. Yeah, no, I think you make a great point there. And uh, just on top of that, nobody wants to go out and wreck their dad's car. So there's that. As well, right? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, time for another break here. When we come back, I, I think we've dodged around it long enough. I want to talk about uh, the whole Russell Bottas uh, situation. Because oh, I must that have missed the, that. Yeah, no, that well, but surely and how uh, what an awful way to kind of like talk down your own uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, Mark, I just uh, wanted to uh, say that uh, we, we've kind of uh, talked about it a little bit well actually quite a lot uh, we've hinted at it uh, so far the, uh, the the big crash of the day and this one was really the the big shocking one uh, and that was uh, George Russell and uh, Valtteri Bottas and it's really was amazing how that uh, the race feed really didn't pick up a lot of what uh, what happened the cameras only kind of picked up the tail end of it and the rest was sort of the in camera or the in car cameras and there wasn't really a good clear shot of uh, what happened so basically they're coming down start finish straight going into that sweeping uh, right hander sorry left hander uh russell obviously had uh, the speed to overtake uh, valtteri bottas he tries to go around him on the right hand side on the outside of the corner and uh, he puts a, a couple of wheels off the track. You can hear the revs on the engine just go right through the roof. And uh, then he he starts to slide and drift to the left. He hits uh, Bottas, and they both uh, go off in a big way. Both cars uh, totaled. I mean, it looked a lot worse than it was because they hit those styrofoam markers on the side of the track. So there's just car debris and sign debris everywhere. Then uh, Russell gets out of the car. He goes over and yells at uh, Bottas. Bottas flips him the bird. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of a, a bizarre situation. But, you know, they're both firmly pointing their fingers at each other. And I think that they're both probably to blame at, at a certain percentage. And you have to really look hard at the at the feed that you do have because Bottas does drift slightly to the right. And then uh, Russell, he does pull over a little bit to uh, to avoid that, I guess, any sort of potential con- uh, contact. He gets onto the grass and then, you know, he might as well have been on you know, he might've been on ice because then he just completely loses the car. And then that uh, sort of uh, sets off that whole big shocking accident. Right. But I don't know. It, um, it, it really is kind of difficult to really apportion blame to that one. Just uh, at least from my point of view, I didn't really see enough of it uh, clearly enough to really get a good look at it. I mean, I had to go and watch it a couple of times to really see from Russell's in-car camera to see uh, Bottas drifting slightly to the right. I think you make a really, really great point. And this was a criticism of that I had of the race independent of this. I, I thought the 
the race directors, and I'm not talking about the, the actual officials of the race, but I'm talking about the production crew with Sky Sports. I thought this was a very, very, very poorly produced race. And it wasn't even just this event, but there was a couple of instances later in the race where they, they basically missed the Lewis Hamilton overtake of Charles Leclerc. Yes, like they spent yeah. the better part of the last 40 minutes just following Hamilton slicing through the field and like, well, now he's behind Leclerc. This is going to be a tough move for him. And then seconds later, he's passed him, but they didn't even show it. And so I, I had some issues with the commentary. I had some issues with the race direction from a camera perspective, but you're absolutely right. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, uh, pardon me for jumping in here, but uh, more to your point that, that, that they were completely uh, out of sync was I think at one point, I can't remember if it was for Stappen or Perez, but one of the Red Bull cars uh, pulled into the pits. They had the turned on, they went to the camera for the wrong pit box. And by the time they got under the right pit box, the car was already pulling out. <laughs> the, 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 the change had already been done. He'd already got four new tires and he's already uh, you know back uh, into the pit lane exiting back out onto the track of like, okay, guys. Oh yeah. I, I, I completely agree. That, that was the same experience that I had one. I thought the commentary was off and it was funny because I was watching the race with my wife and I, I looked at her at one point and I asked like, it, it felt to me that the commentators were actually sitting in their homes in the UK, watching the television broadcast. Like to me, that's how disconnected they felt from the race. And then for the race director that typically sits in a truck at the track and he's got all the feeds in front of him, he's cutting for to each individual feed. Like yeah. he just felt like that individual was all over the place and made some brutal mistakes, but getting back to the, the Bottas George thing, all the thing, the, the incident, the, the collision, <laughs> Ultimately, what we needed was we needed the shot from the helicopter, that overhead shot yeah. that would show the two cars coming down. Because to your point, you know, you can you can see a little bit of movement, but in my mind, on any other track, on any other day, that's okay because I'm Bottas. I'm not just going to sacrifice my position and give up the racing line. Like this is my racing line. And if you want to come and get it, you're you're gonna have to make an aggressive move. But ultimately, to me, I I can't apportion blame a hundred percent to either one of the drivers. I yeah. think what I can do is fundamentally assign blame to George Russell for his conduct following the collision. Now let's be very, very clear here. One, we should just be thankful. Nobody was hurt. And we yeah, should exactly. also be yeah. thankful that there were only two cars involved. These cars were traveling at 300 kilometers an hour on a wet, slippery track when they made contact. And the contact happened because Bottas, Russell felt Bottas moved towards him. So George was looking to pass him. They had a straight going into a corner. George Russell was looking to pass him on the inside of the track. He felt that Bottas squeezed him. He had to step off of the track so that he didn't make contact with Bottas. As soon as he does that, to your point, he's on the grass. It yeah. might as well be ice, and he spins. Very similar to 2016, where we saw Hamilton making a similar move on Rosberg. He touched the grass, which was the dry. He spun, took out Rosberg. Very similar situation. He hits the grass. He spins. He takes out Bottas. It's a serious collision. And one, yeah. thankfully, no other drivers were involved. Thankfully, they were both okay. I cannot, and I, I think we need to put this into perspective. I can't even imagine the amount of adrenaline that George Russell would have been feeling at that moment. He's in a position where he's potentially going to overtake Bottas, who he's also chasing his job, right? He's chasing that seat as well. He has an mm -hmm. opportunity in the Williams car to pass a Mercedes. 
They end up making contact. They spin. It's a brutal crash. He's probably completely winded. He's emotional. The adrenaline's running through him, but he's angry. And I get it. You're going to swear on the radio. Like we see this all the time. Like whenever there's contact, whenever there's a mistake, they always blame the other driver. Even when we can see like, my friend, you're, you're an idiot. That was all your fault, (laughs) but they don't know it. They're emotional. But the fact that he still got out of the car and chased down Bottas, who was still in the car, like you don't even know that he's okay. You don't know that he's not concussed. You don't know that he's not winded. You don't know that he doesn't have broken bones and to go at him. That that's a side of George Russell. I've never seen. And on the one hand, good. Mm -hmm. Like I want to see, I want to see these alpha drivers that have that level of grit and emotion. But in that moment, you don't know that it's fundamentally his mistake. And I didn't appreciate that. And it is interesting. And and total Wolf, uh, he wasn't willing to apportion blame. And I don't know if we're going to get to this after the fact, but he certainly wasn't willing to apportion blame. He made some jokes about the fact that, Hey, George, maybe he's going to have to go down to the Renault Clio cup series and and kind of, kind of earn back his stripes there. But ultimately he's like, I don't know if it was 60, 40 and who you would apportion that to, but yeah, it was really, really interesting. And the internet lit up and it was interesting too, because typically if I can't make up my mind on something, I go to Reddit and I just let them persuade me I'm a sheep. So I go to the Reddit thread (laughs) and and even there, it wasn't particularly clear. They were very, very critical of George, but not necessarily critical of Bottas's move. Yeah. Well, it's like, we've both been mentioning here is that there was no real clear-cut camera angle that showed the entire distance like a a situation because the only camera that really shows it is George's in-car camera and those cameras that are on the car don't really have a wide field of vision you see as moving totally but the thing that you really lack is the depth the, the the distance the geometry I mean it's obvious how much George moves but it's hard to tell from that in-car camera okay did Bottas just move over a foot or did he move over like a car width and and that's what you know so i mean it's different if he just like moves over slightly and just pushes nudges george slightly then hey that's that's fair game right but i mean if he moves over drastically over half of the track or something and really pushes george out of the way then this conversation then takes a completely different uh, tone to it it's like oh yeah i can totally understand why george went stomping down there and starts yelling at Bottas uh, afterwards because, you know, he did. He went over three quarters of the track and pushed him onto the wet grass and then this whole thing. So, I mean, it'll be one of those situations that we just we just don't have the benefit of a clear camera angle to really give us the full story. And it's really open to interpretation. I mean, the way that it looks like. Uh, Bottas moved over slightly. George overreacted. He got onto the grass, or yeah, he overreacted to that. That he got onto the grass, spun, collected Bottas. They have a big catastrophic uh, crash, and then there's a confrontation uh, between the two drivers afterwards in the heat of the moment. I, well, from one driver to another, and it has a bit of a humorous conclusion from a fan point of view, watching Bottas flipping uh, George the, the 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 bird. But you know, it's like you say, it could have been a lot worse, and thankfully it wasn't. And ultimately, and this sounds terrible, and you never want this to be the reason why you collect a podium, but only moments before Hamilton had gone off himself. Yeah. Um, and this the, the reset associated with the red flags ultimately gave Hamilton the opportunity to come back out in P9 and start carving his way through the field. So there was there were some interesting outcomes as a byproduct of this, but it was also just curious, and, and I know we haven't spoke a lot about this, but Obviously, Bottas didn't qualify particularly well. He looked good in free practice one, but I don't read a lot into free practice one, to be honest. I I think historically, I have too much, but he came out, looked well, qualified 
relatively poorly P8, although still only a half second off the, the pole, as we talked about a couple of minutes ago, but he wasn't having a great race. And, and so far this year, it's been, it's what I was afraid we would see from Bottas, which is on a significantly different plane than his teammate in terms of racecraft and performance. And he should never have been in a position where a Williams was looking to overtake him as well. I mean, we're sitting here talking about who was at fault. Was it Bottas? Did he move over? Was it Russell because he was spooked? Did he stepped onto the grass and spun out? I think the real question is the root cause is why was there a Williams competing with the Mercedes for position on a track in this race? And again, I know it was a unique race, but Bottas should never have been in that position to begin with. Well, you know, uh, and just uh, before we go into our last break here, Mark, I just wanted to make a point, too, that um, it was a very disappointing uh, race, obviously, for for Williams because they had both of their cars get into Q2 for the first time in literally forever. George qualifying in P12, uh, N- uh, Nicholas uh, qualifying P14. In the end of it, uh, both of them are out of the race as a result of uh, accidents. And just uh, it's... It, they must be really upset about that because this is a team that has struggled for far too long compared to where they, you know, historically they, they have been, this was a team, you know, far too long ago was uh, at the top of uh, formula one, but even in recent memory, even just going back several years ago, I mean, this was a team that was kind of in the best of the rest conversation. Right. And then they just literally dropped into the abyss and this, you know, they've got new ownership in there and it just looked like it could have been one of those uh, weekends that things, it was like an indication that things might be turning around in the right direction. And to get both, I mean, George has oh. done so well, especially last year to get into Q2 and then have both of them in Q3, or sorry, in, in Q2 this uh, this weekend. And then both of them ending up uh, crashing out of the race is just, uh, it's, you know, we've, we've talked about frustrating things for different teams and different people. That has to be a very disappointing result. I'm, for I'm so glad you brought that up. And I, I would have been ashamed of, ashamed of us if we'd overlooked that, but you're absolutely right. So Nicholas Latifi actually out qualified his teammate yes. Russell in Q1. That's never happened before. That's never happened. So for for that team, it's a breakthrough for Latifi. It's a breakthrough for the team that they get both drivers into Q two for the really the only I think that only the second time since they've they've had this driver pairing, and it looks like maybe some good things are starting to happen for that team. Mm-hmm. And to your point, for both of them to to ultimately crash out of the race, that must be heartbreaking. One because those are two extremely expensive repair bills, and I oh, think yeah. we take for granted that hey, these are big rich teams; they can afford to fix these these cars. And in Mercedes' case, Bottas's car might be a fundamental write-off. That chassis might be done, but that's a big team, and they've got the funds, and they can afford it. Ultimately, Williams is going to be able to find a way, especially with their new their, the, the investment group that's backing them now in terms of Dalton Capital. But ultimately, that's still a really pricey repair bill for that team. And mm-hmm. I think when we were talking about Drive to Survive, like we could see the apprehension sometimes that some of these owners have when it comes to the repair bills. And in this case, Williams not only goes from two cars in Q2, but they go to two really expensive repair bills in the course of 24 hours it's it's oh, yeah. really really crazy it's gonna be such a salvage job is just like guys is there anything we can pull off of these cars to exactly <laughs> I mean, exactly yeah just uh just something that they didn't need to have to deal with anyways uh i want to take one final break here mark and when we come back i just want to jump into the mailbag before we tidy it up and shut it down for tonight and we'll do so in just a moment so don't go away we'll be right back
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And as promised, I just want to jump now quickly into the the, the mailbag and uh, have an email here from Ian Driver. And uh, he says, hi, guys, listener from the UK here. Love the show. Would you please take time on the show to discuss or explain the logic behind allowing cars to unlap themselves prior to a restart, as we saw today at Imola? The rule cost Norris P2 and Leclerc P3, as in reality, Hamilton was merely unlapping himself when he overtook them later in the race. Equally odd was that the two cars that were uh, two laps adrift were allowed to catch up one. Keep up the great work, Ian. Okay, well, this uh, well, thanks for the email, Ian. And uh, we we had a bit of a chat about this uh, before we actually uh, started recording here. And it, you know, we, we tossed around a couple of ideas. And Mark, you seem a little bit more prepared to uh, discuss this one because there is no clear cut answer. And surprisingly. It seems that some of F1's infrastructure system doesn't seem equipped to, to handle it. I mean, apparently we were able to send men to the moon 50 years <laughs> ago, but we can't find a way for timing software in the 21st century to accomplish this. But there are some nuances to this, uh, and also not just from the timing side, but also from the sporting side and just uh, basically what it comes down to fairness and the amount of uh, distance and wear and tear on the cars uh, that, that is actually run. So why don't you take that away, Mark? Yeah, thank you for that. I really, really appreciate you uh, passing this one over. But uh, in all seriousness, Ian, thank you for the email. Very, very, very much uh, appreciate uh, your support of the show as we do. Everybody who listens, um, and especially to those of you who take the time to send in emails, even if they're a very difficult question like this, that maybe shouldn't be as difficult as it is. But we we actually had a really long conversation about this before the before we began recording today. And even us, we were kind of looking at each other. We're trying to understand really what is the logic here. And, and I think ultimately it comes down to a couple of things, right? Which is one to us, when we were having this conversation, you know what, you're in that safety car situation. You've got cars that need to unlap themselves. Why not just allow them to drop back through the field? You know, why are we putting these cars through the physical process of having to physically unlap themselves and consume the time necessary to do that. And ultimately we, we did a little bit of research and had a conversation with a couple of people trying to, to, to better get an understanding of what kind of drives the culture around this part of the sport. And to your point, there's really a couple of things. One, there's a sporting component and there's a fairness component to allowing cars to drop back through the field rather than physically unlapping themselves. Physically unlapping themselves means that ultimately they're putting in the same number of physical laps as the rest of the cars they're competing against. And that particularly means that they're consuming fuel and they're putting wear and tear on their tires that they would have if they weren't in a position where they had to unlap themselves. So in from a fairness perspective, simply dropping back through the field and not going through the process of physically unlapping yourself could ultimately be an unnecessary benefit because you're not consuming fuel and you're not putting wear and tear on your tires that you ultimately would have otherwise. So simply dropping back through the field isn't necessarily the right thing to do. The other consideration, and this is the one that you were alluding to a couple of minutes ago, is that the FIA doesn't actually have the electronic infrastructure or the capability from a timing perspective to account for the fact that cars could just drop back through the field and complete a virtual lap. So from the FIA's perspective, due to the limitations associated with their timing systems, they actually need those cars to physically perform a full lap so they can be accounted for on the classification timesheet at the end of the race 
correctly because they don't have a way to account for a car virtually completing a lap. So it sounds like there's some interesting pieces here. And then the other piece too, that's really interesting is the whole process of physically unlapping yourself is also at the discretion of the race director. And we've been talking so much the last couple of weeks about um, track limits and how arbitrary they are and why they're enforced here and why they're not enforced there. Even this rule itself is kind of uncertain and ultimately at the discretion of the race director. And it can happen. Maybe it won't happen. Is it a safety car, virtual safety car? There's all these different kinds of pieces. So from our perspective, without diving into the FIA rule book and trying to decompact the regulations there, that's generally our understanding. But but it is interesting. And, and especially in a race like this, where it ultimately impacts the outcome of the race and the distribution of championship points, it's... It's interesting. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, if I was Formula One, I would just uh, try and put the twist on it that uh, just from a sporting perspective, that if the race is 63 laps along, everybody has to do 63 laps. If you're still running, I mean, if you obviously if you're out of the race, you're out of the race. Everybody drives 63 laps. Everybody drives 310 kilometers or whatever the full race yep. distance is. Just keep it simple because if you make it sound like your infrastructure just isn't up to, to, to par. And uh, like I say, I mean, if you could put people on the moon 50 years ago with a, a space vehicle that has less computing power than my dishwasher upstairs does, then I just don't think that is a very Formula One thing. It just uh, doesn't uh, sound very good. I mean, I'm being a little bit sarcastic and facetious here, but uh, yeah, it, it certainly is an interesting conversation to have that uh, just the, the way that uh, just the infrastructure is and and also just the, the, just the sporting fairness of it all kind of like links together. And that's uh, basically when it comes down to it, there, there is no easy answer. There's a lot of things that have yeah. to be uh, taken into consideration. So then uh, moving along, we also had a, a tweet the other day from uh, BJ Crabtree. So we had a, a couple of questions here. Uh, one of them, uh, he said, uh, how does Red Bull deal with uh, Perez P2? Do they force him to let Max ahead? Does Williams push or do they just stay there and uh, call it a day? And then <laughs> I, I think unfortunately both of those ones were solved on the track one way or another. I mean, we're a little bit uh, late in answering uh, BJ's tweet, but then finally, I think he kind of uh, nailed it. Uh, he says, Bottas P8's yikes is the frustration finally getting too much or will he rise? And, you know, that's a great question. I mean, a, a guy that is uh, clearly auditioning for a job and trying to, you know, state his case for 2022 it's not really going too great. I mean, that that P8 in, in, in qualifying and not really car, carving his way through the field was not really what you would expect from Bottas. I know that the that the, the conditions weren't all that great, but certainly, uh, you know, Lewis did, uh, did a pretty good job. But it, it just before his accident, I mean, Bottas wasn't really, he wasn't inspiring me with the, the way he was driving out there today. Let, let's just put it that way. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. I feel exactly the same way. And we obviously, we talk so much about, and if you're new to the sport, this has kind of been Bottas since he's been with Mercedes. He was a very solid driver with Williams. He cashed in some podiums. Uh, he had a, some really strong performances in 2016, his last year with that team. And that was really the last year that they were relatively competitive and you could really classify them as a midfield team before they kind of dropped off the face of the planet. But ultimately, you know, at 2017, largely it was inspired because he was a new driver. Um, 2018, he was heavily criticized. Going into 2019, 
there was a, something of a new Bottas, this Bottas V2.0, and he was new and he was aggressive and he was lunging and he was doing things that we hadn't seen from him before. And then by the second half of that season, by the midway point, he kind of reverted back into the Bottas that we knew. And I think what we were all hoping this year was given the fact that he's out of contract at the end of the year, that we would see a Bottas 3.0, that he would reinvent himself once again to be that alpha driver that we all want him to be so that we can have somebody in a Mercedes car literally and figuratively competing with Hamilton for the championship because we've not seen that from Bottas, not even close. In fact, 2018, I think he finished fifth in the driver's titles or the driver's championship, which is which is unacceptable given the quality and the caliber of the car that he yeah. was given. But I think what we've seen so far is, to your point, uninspiring. And this weekend was frankly disappointing. The qualified P8 is is unacceptable. And then to be in a position where you're being overtaken by a Williams car. And I, I know it was a unique race weekend. The track was wet. It's unacceptable to be in that position. So ultimately, whether it's your fault or Russell's fault that that collision happened, you should never have been in that position to begin with. And so for me, that's where I ultimately assign faults. And just on that comment about uh, Sergio and Max, I think one of the things that I'm most excited to see this year is a situation where they are potentially dueling for a podium position because I don't know what that's going to look like from a team orders perspective. I hope there's none. Obviously, if we're in race 17, 18, 19, and Max is ultimately competing for a driver's title, I think there's going to be race oh, race orders. Yeah. But yeah. this early in the season, I would be very, very curious to see. And I think that's one of the things I was most excited to see this weekend was, wow, you know, you got a position where Perez is already on the jump from Max from the very, very start of the race. And ultimately, Perez had a very, very poor start and Max took the lead right away. So that didn't even get to be we didn't even get to see what how that was going to play out. Yeah, it it is interesting. And I do think uh, very much uh, like uh, you were saying that this early in the season, I don't think that uh, they say anything than other, uh, you know, boys, keep it clean. Don't crash into each other and take yourself or your teammate out of the race or, you know, heaven forbid, both of you. But if it gets deeper into the season, like you say, if he's fighting with uh, Lewis, uh, you know, in a really tight uh, championship battle or he's, you know, even ahead of Lewis in the in, in, in the driver's title and they wanted to sort of pad that lead, then I think then that becomes a bit of a no brainer. At that point, it said definitely out Sergio move over, you know, you know, lose a second or two on the lap here or whatever, or, you know, pass them in the pits or whatever it might be. But uh, I, I think at that point, it just uh, becomes obvious. But just uh, going back, I know talking about Valtteri Bottas is your favorite uh, topic. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it is interesting, uh, too, just uh, like I say, you know, with, with him sort of auditioning for the job this year. And I mean, it, it's been obvious for, for Toto, I think, over the past couple of years that just uh, by giving him this sort of one year rolling contract has been the easiest thing to do because they, they get a guy that is, uh, you know, contributing uh, like a large number of points. He's winning a yeah. couple of races yeah. here and there, which keeps him ha happy. And there really hasn't been, I would say, a real clear uh, replacement for him. But I mean, th that question has been out there for a little bit now. And I think by giving him that one year deal, uh, well, last summer, I guess, is when he got the, 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 the contract for this year. And I think in doing so, that uh, that question is whether do you bring Bottas back for 2022? I think that question is going to answer itself. I think that uh, the, the the decision will be made for Toto, and I think that whatever which way he decides to go for 2022, I think the 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 question will answer itself throughout the course of the season, and it'll be an easy one for him to make either bring him back or put uh, you know promote George Russell from the Renault Clio Cup into Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right, and I yeah. think honestly. 
I think we're probably going to know by the summer break. I, yeah. I think we'll have a pretty clear idea at the summer break. I don't think it's going to be some of these driver contract situations where we're wondering, like Albon last year, We, I think they they suspended the anticipation throughout the entire back half of that season. But I think yeah. it's going to be much, much clearer because the other challenge last year with Red Bull is they didn't necessarily have a driver in the waiting I don't think any of us anticipated or expected that they were potentially going to bring Gasly back, but if not Albon, then who? And then as it became clearer and clearer as the back half of the season played out and Aston Martin made the move to sign Sebastian Vettel, all of a sudden Sergio Perez became this option. But even then, you know, it wasn't like Red Bull historically to go out and sign a driver that didn't come through their academy. So I, I think this year, though, I think we'll probably have a pretty clear idea come. Yeah, if it keeps up like this, then uh, we certainly won't be talking about what is going to be in uh, Valtteri Bottas's future at Mercedes come the U.S. Grand Prix in October or whenever it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for the emails and the tweets and everything. Much appreciated. I, you know, Mark, that's it. You know, in such an eventful Grand Prix, it's only taken us uh, just uh, only over an hour to break it down. But uh, certainly, it, it was enjoyable, and I, I'm I'm hoping that uh, that the season keeps up because some of the messages that uh, we've received uh, after the first race a couple of weeks ago in Bahrain was. Yeah, it was a thrilling finish to the to you know, to the to the race. It was a great way to start the season. But what if that's it? What what if uh, next race uh, Mercedes reestablish themselves at the top right. and it just uh, becomes the the same old same old? So we we have to wait another race to answer that question. But you know, it has been a good start to the season, and it certainly did not disappoint in the way that this uh, race turned out after that three week uh, pause in between round one and round two. It uh, it's it certainly. Um, let, let's just say that after what I saw today and all the added excitement that the rain brought into it, that I just can't wait to get back to racing. And thankfully, this time it's not going to be three weeks. Absolutely. I just want to share two other things real quick, uh, kind of the lighter side of Formula One that I thought were really interesting. And and I credit my uh, time spent on Reddit, but <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody saw this, but and this wasn't actually on the Sky Sports broadcast. This was on the F1 TV Pro app feed. But curiously, there was this interesting moment where after Hamilton had qualified on pole, um, there is a, a bit of a trophy ceremony where the driver who qualified on pole gets a trophy from Pirelli. And it's this half size formula one racing tire. Mm -hmm. And there's this interesting moment and it was caught on camera, but it wasn't intended for broadcast. And Hamilton actually walks over to the Pirelli rep and Hamilton goes and he looks at the trophy. He just won. He's like, where did these go? And the Pirelli guy points at him. He's like, they go to you. And Lois is like, they goes to me because of course, Hamilton's won like a thousand of these over the last 10 years. <laughs> and the Pirelli reps like, of course they go to you. And Lewis is like, but I've never seen mine. And for the Pirelli guys, but like, <laughs> but you have so many of them. And Lewis is like, I have no idea where they are. And the Pirelli rep is like exasperated and shocked and upset. And he's like, really? And Lewis is like, yeah, I need to find out. And it, I thought it was just kind of this funny interaction. And then the other thing from this race weekend that I thought was really, really funny was um, on Thursday during media availability, they actually put Hamilton with uh, Sebastian Vettel, which they typically don't do. They try to balance out media availability. So you've kind of got some of your top guys and you've got some of your younger drivers. But there was a question that was posed to Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton. And the question was, if you could be any animal, what animal would it be and why? And, and Sebastian Vettel, he says, I would like to be a nice dog and like to have a nice family. And they take me for walks. And maybe if I'm not a dog, maybe a bird so I can fly and see things. Hamilton, on the other hand, is like, 
I want to be a pterodactyl and I fly around. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. I want to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So I thought it was very cute that Sebastian Vettel goes to being, I would like to be a nice family dog with a nice family that takes me for walks. And Lewis Hamilton's like, I want to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I just thought, <laughs> I thought those were two uh, very cute Lewis Hamilton moments from the, uh, the race weekend that went unreported unreported except on the checkered flag pod test on BBC, which I think spoke to that same media availability, but thought I'd share that with the, the team. Well, you know, the, maybe that just shows a little bit of the difference in the mentality be, uh, between Lewis and Seb and nothing totally. against Seb, but maybe that explains why Lewis, the Tyrannosaurus Rex has uh, seven world championships uh, to his name. But I'd like, like to know, like maybe the Pirelli guy thought that maybe on Lewis's mantelpiece and his lip, <laughs> we've got all these, uh, you know, these uh, Pirelli uh, sort of miniature tires and stuff like that. And they're all like uh, packed in boxes back at the uh, Mercedes <laughs> headquarters or somewhere like that. So my question to you, what animal would you be and why? That is a great question. I would be, um, I'm going to go the dinosaur route. I, I yeah. think you like to be a velociraptor. Yeah. I damn you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll be, I'll do something different. I think I would probably, so when you pick your animal, you have to be aware of what they eat. So I would like to be, let's say a cougar, but a vegan cougar that eats principally nuts and berries. If okay, such a thing exists. If I didn't, if I, I had to go from prehistoric times to modern times, I, I'd go with like a bear, grizzly bear, cool. something like that. Cause you know, I like salmon and fish and that's a very Pacific Northwest thing. So cool. I, I would, you know, Terry or sorry, a velociraptor or a, a bear. On this um, note, as we are shedding subscribers <laughs> by the hundreds. Yeah, by the hundreds. Exactly. So we'll, you know, we'll quit while the going's good. And uh, thank you all for uh, joining in and listening watching on youtube appreciate the support and uh, we'll be back in a couple of days to recap all the latest stuff formula one news and on behalf of myself and mark hamilton that's a wrap talk to you guys soon have a great week and we'll be back in a couple of days bye for now